This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by the Soda Pod, home of MNCAA college hockey news and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 175 here in the Dan. Nick Max and Noah Grant here for another week, and it is all things WCHA. We get ready for one of the biggest programs and programs probably closest to home literally and figuratively for Nick Maxson as far as the WCHA is concerned a good preview at the number three spot on the women's side uh, and Nick before we get to that uh, we've got some interesting caveats on the men's side and women's side I guess technically uh, the NCAA amending some rules as well related to hockey for the upcoming season and everyone's favorite in terms of video review so uh, we'll plan on discussing that as well too so uh, without further ado we start with center ice view news and notes Presented by HuskiesIllustrated.com and the SodaPod. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey. From game notes, recaps, photos, and more, go to CenterIceView.com. Welcome in to the main portion of the show. Nick, Max, and Noah Grant here in the den for another week. Nick, uh, actually just uh, previously fresh off uh, some really good recording, some work with MNCAA and our partners at the Soda Pod, by the way, too. And a really good discussion. We got to talk about the NCHC, some college hockey players, some local uh, Minnesota products, so, uh, one specifically from Prior Lake that's made a move to the NCHC, if you can uh, piece that one together, obviously. So great discussion uh, on MNCAA and the Soda Pod. Uh, so you definitely don't want to miss that. We had a really good time with that one. Um, you know who else had a good time, Nick? The NCAA doing what they do. Uh, some interesting caveats coming out uh, about video review. Uh, having too many players on the ice when a goal is scored on the ensuing play is now removed from the list of reviewable plays by video in men's and women's hockey for the upcoming season. Of Thank course, <laughs> we already we already have reviews for uh, when a goal is scored and a team challenges an offside infraction, basically an offside that leads directly to a goal. It can't be like an offside that was like 45 seconds previous it has to lead directly to a goal um the confusion was essentially the idea of a gained advantage so if you want to be technical about it at least from the way i interpret it is that theoretically let's say you're getting ready and you're on a line change for example and 
the sixth player, quote unquote, steps onto the ice, takes a couple of strides as the fifth is just getting to the bench. Theoretically, that's an implied gained advantage and eligible for video review, or it was because they would have too many players on the ice. But of course, subjective judgment call as to how the officials were able to use that discretion and also confusion as to, you know, was it a hard and fast rule? Was it, you know, you know, did this apply and they've got quite a bit of these calls wrong or there was mixed signals, I think, obviously, um, of course, not with the, the delay penalty violation, notwithstanding at the end of periods, we'll talk about that in the NCHC another time uh, related to that conference. But as far as NCAA video review, Nick, um, you kind of indicated it. it feels like a welcome change or just brings a lot of less confusion and maybe a little bit more integrity back into the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of wonder what our friend Mike Schmidt would have to say about this. Right. And, you know, and the reason I bring him up was, you know, I think when we last spoke to him, it's been probably what a year, year and a half since we had him on as a guest. Um, he mentioned that in all buildings, not all reviews are equal, which yeah. means that, you know, you don't have, uh, like a St. Cloud is set up all the time where you do have above the net cams and you can access the broadcast feeds and shall we say the equipment's also working correctly, right? So I, I think what the NCAA is trying to do here and, and rightfully so is sort of what baseball is doing. We're trying to get rid of the fluff essentially, whereas, you know, with the offsides rule or, or shall we say the, um, the, uh, the sixth skater, right? Essentially, it's the judgment call you're talking about, Noah, is did that person that's coming off the bench versus the player that's still on it were, shall we say, you know, was there a direct impact on the play? Yeah. Right. That's sort of the judgment call, right? So I guess a good example would be um, the pucks already in the offensive zone. It is a second period change. So your bench is closest to the offensive zone, but the pucks already there. Someone's coming off of the bench, uh, the play is already ahead of him. The sixth player is on there for maybe another couple of strides. Did that action actually gain the advantage of the team while they had it in the offensive zone? Not yeah. necessarily, right? However, let's say that there's a rush coming through, right? And the puck is at the red line. And that same four player is on the far end of the bench, meaning closest to the blue line, right? That player steps onto the ice, receives a pass, and all of a sudden, now the play is being advanced. And now as a defensive pairing, you know, you're an advantage in a sense there. Players and come back yet. That's kind of an obvious one. I'm, I'm trying to. Well, it, it, it indicate, it, right. What essentially right. your discretion it, here. It, it's right? basically has either player during that line change. Have they become an active participant of the play? Essentially. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, just trying to outline a more of like a, an actual scenario based right for, for some fans to understand it. And that is sort of what they're trying to look at is if, if that is what it is, sure. But they're not going to go back to video review for that, which I think is good. It's going to be a discretionary call. Um, there's going to be controversy. There always is this ethnic perfect in a Jersey poll. We know that as Husky one as podcast fans. Um, but at the end of the day, right. Um, the other thing that came out of this, no, and I know we'll probably touch on this is, it sounds like if there is an offsides call, right? They're only going to essentially focus the review on was the playoff size and not anything that's after that or the, you know, shall we say the result of that. They really want to focus on, okay, was the play indeed offside? They're trying to eliminate these 
longer delays. And again, we've talked about some of the technology challenges that could be arena-based or network-based that could impede that. I think that's part of what they're trying to bridge, honestly, yeah. is that there isn't a broadcast standard across NCAA hockey. It is sort of a location-based and specific type scenario. So I, I do think that this review will be better for obviously the game. It's going to be better for the flow of the game, and certainly fans will thank it because they're not going to be waiting 10 to 15 minutes for uh, a play to essentially be determined whether it should be called good or not. For lack of yeah, you know, and the other thing I'm curious that just kind of popped into my head, too, is I've been a real big fan of the rule change in the NHL, where as long as some part of your body is over the plane of the defining line of the blue line, you're either right. onside or offside, depending on the direction. And I think the NCAA is still the old school way, so to speak, where you yeah. have to have your foot down in some capacity on the ice. And I think I'd like to see that be able to change because I think a lot of offside reviews have been really cleaned up as a result of that, you know, because you know, doesn't matter how good your cameras are. And as you said, in the NCAA, it can be a hit or miss, you know, process compared to the NHL. How do you define if somebody's foot was on the ice or not from a camera angle when you're talking about millimeters, essentially trying to Correct. define that? I, I, I just say, I, I think it would really clean up a lot of things. And that's going to be the challenge. Like you said, the integrity of the game, it's going to be on the officiating crew like it always has been. You know, even if someone isn't a quote unquote active participant, but like you said, they change on a different part of the bench and they end up impeding somebody trying to come back on the back check. It's like, if that is missed, that can create a two on one. And if it's not picked up by the officiating crew, no longer reviewable as far as uh, too many men on the ice. So there's always going to be potential for those things. Uh, But we do talk about the balance and the integrity of the game. I I think we've gotten to a point, Nick, and I'm curious to see what you think on this, where, there is a need for video review. It is an essential part of the game today. There are certainly some things that just, it needs to be an option because there's some things that you just can't miss. I think, for example, go back a couple of years, the CCHA overtime finish that was not to be, where there's a hole, hole in the side of the net. But I mean, those are things that, I mean, you go back to the early 2000s, if that is called a goal on the ice, it's a non-reviewable play. And it's like... It has to be. I think, did that not happen in the NCAAs in like 2005 or 2006? Maybe it was early. I think it was North Dakota and Denver where that ended up happening, where there was a goal that ended up either going through a, a hole in the side of the net or like it got lifted off its moorings. It and was like that. And I know the Gophers in even previous years, I think back in the 80s, had a slap shot literally go through the net. It was square to the net. It went yeah. through and Mind you, this is well before HD and camera equipment upgrades and whatnot. And so they have a video review, right? So you do want that opportunity if it's that obvious, right? But um, yeah, that just but, yeah, yeah but, but it doesn't need to be overbearing, I think is kind of the point is that. And I think right. the NCAA is trying to balance, you know, you get that sense maybe that they're just trying to balance it accordingly and match that integrity with the obvious advancement of modern technology and limitations of the buildings. Yeah, because at the end of it, we I talked about it before, right? Which is some of these reviews are taking sometimes ten to fifteen minutes, and you know whether mm-hmm. it's you know trying to determine if a puck crossed a red line, and you know I get that not every review is equal, right? But at the end of it, a lot of these offsides or shall we say too many men slash too many women calls um, were taking forever to sort through. Uh, technology aside, right? So I think you're yeah. trying to make sure. 
in a similar sense, what baseball is doing, right? Trying to take out some of that extra fluff, trying to make sure we're not impeding the flow because there's nothing worse in the sport, which is standing still. Uh, and when you're certainly doing it to yourself, right? Which is, yeah, you, we want to make sure the call is right, but we have referees, we have humans there for a reason, right? They're going to have calls that are going to be subjective. They're going to miss some. Again, we talked about uh, a jersey tug. Um, umpires are going to miss the strike zone too, right? So I think you're trying to allow the umpires slash the referees to make their calls as they see it while understanding there's going to be room for error when it's acceptable, whether there's others where we do have review where maybe it's not so acceptable. Yeah, certainly would agree. And it just kind of, like you said, balancing that line accordingly and, uh, you know, matching that integrity of the game. I think when you talk about video reviews, you you get that feeling of when it's going to take too long where you see the replay right away and you know they're going to review and you're like, oh boy, here we go. Like one of those where you're like, we should probably go to the bathroom and grab some popcorn because this is going to be a minute kind of thing. And I think they're trying to mitigate that as much as they can. And just with all the confusion that we've seen, it's easier for the NCAA to, I don't want to say revert, but that's almost kind of what they're doing is they're just kind of reverting this rule back to what it used to be. And I, I think that the game is probably better for it in most if not all occasions yeah because at the end of it i mean i get it like in a perfect world right i mean maybe we're that much closer to ai referees no i'm kidding we're definitely not (laughs) um you know it's like what's the impact of this call right and trying to do we know some of this does it lead to a goal sure but do we need to spend 15 minutes um video you know and our video review or do we really need the referee crew as a whole, right? Because mind you, the NHL, and I think this is what's interesting, Noah, right? And that is in the NHL, a major penalty could also be technically sort of called by a linesman, depending on what it is, right? Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, speaking of, you know, making calls, right? Apparently my... <laughs> what, what did you hang out with? What did you hang out with Joe Pavelski lately? I so, right? Oh, my <laughs> God. So, uh, but, you know, to that notion... Uh, you know, you kind of wonder if the onus now is going to be on the group as a whole, right? All three, usually it's three referees on an NCAA sheet, you know, whether that linesman or two, maybe it's four, um, is going to be tasked to identify or watch the line changes, right? Again, in the NHL, it's most of the referees in charge of that. I'm not sure exactly if it's any different um, or it may be similar to uh, the college hockey scene. I imagine it's similar, uh, right. but maybe that's going to be an emphasis that they just say, hey, we can control this with our referees that we have. We don't need to go to re- video review. We can conference it. We can, you know, huddle together. We can determine whether, you know, this is should be allowed or not, and then come to consensus and let's not waste sometimes up to 10, 15 minutes determining a call. Let's get together, take one or two minutes instead, come to a consensus, and we can move on with the game after that. Absolutely would agree. And uh, I, I think uh, we've talked about it in previous years with the NCHC as a whole and the challenges with officiating that they've had, obviously just no, no sense to add to that. And like you mentioned, changes in building St. Cloud with the broadcasting setup that they have North Dakota with, you know, the fact that North Dakota has a pretty good building in general versus maybe Kalamazoo and the challenges that they have with having an older building, so to speak. So a, a lot of, or sight lines just in general. So a lot of obviously changes, of course, Challenges, of course, smaller buildings on the women's side as well, too. One of the best filled buildings, though, of course, Ritter Arena, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Uh, Nick, now we moved into the home slots for the women's side last uh, last time that we previewed WCHA action with Duluth, who, of course, finished in fourth place last year. 
a bit of a switch up. Our first real switch up here in the WCHA. Yes, you had to wait a long time for it, but we do have a different mix than uh, what was finished last season. Minnesota, of course, finishing with 68 points, two points shy of Ohio State, eight points clear of the third place Wisconsin Badgers. However, the Minnesota Golden Gophers playing at home, Ritter Arena, 3,400, actually very comparable to Ed Robeson and the Tigers, by the way. Comparable to a Mullet Arena, too, for those who are <laughs> keeping track. <laughs> you went there, not me. I did. Uh, yeah. The Gophers, though, very story program. We have them coming in at number three this season, potentially taking a step back here, Nick. Uh, and last year, obviously, a very successful season. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Had a really good look at another national championship on the cards last year. Let's start there. Very good season for them, finishing second in the WCHA by a very small margin to the Ohio State Buckeyes. What did we see? Um, well, so first talk some stats, right? Because you're a stats guy. I'm surprised you're not like Amazon Analytics or something like that. But here we go. Um, 36 and three overall. By all standards, that's really good, right? 22 and three in the WCHA. 18, two and one in home. They just never lose at home except for one time. 11, one and two away. One and three in neutral sites, which is kind of curious to them. Um, three and two in non-conference, five and one in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, just overall, I mean, by the numbers, that's a damn good season, right? So, um, again, we talk about the Golden Gopher women's program, how they've been a storied franchise, how they've had success year in and year out. They're always a competitor in the WCHA and on the national stage, right? So this isn't really a surprise, right? But maybe this is the surprise. Four and one Against St. Cloud State in the regular season, um, they did lose four to one in the NC Hall of Fame game. So here's my thing, Noah. There, there was a I don't want to say like it was problems with the game, but they showed at times a chink in their armor, and, it, and I think it was sort of interesting because in those games that they lost, um, we saw that it just seemed like the offense went dry, and and more so. I'm not sure if you got the same thing, but it seemed like they got frustrated at times. It almost seems like, yep. you know, they, they weren't enjoying their free space and, and the ability for some of their players to take over hockey games and they weren't getting the bounces and, you know, credit to also some of the goaltenders who kept their teams in the hockey games. But you really saw Minnesota really not able to break through as easy as they have in years past. And I really think that sort of mentality is also what kind of cost them in the postseason too. But in the regular season, we saw that again, at times the offense just wasn't as explosive. They just didn't finish as often as we normally would see. Yeah. Uh, using that free space worse than a bingo card. Right. I mean, it's just, uh, it, <laughs> just, it, it's interesting because it, you're exactly right. It, there were certain games where, and it was almost if they didn't get off of the normal offensive production that way that they were accustomed to now against the top end teams, your Ohio States, your Wisconsin's, your Duluth tight hockey games throughout most of the season. But at the same time, St. Cloud moreover early on in the season, as opposed to later in the season, uh, really gave them fits and a run for their money. And, you know, the only thing that stinks for St. Cloud is it just happened to be that that game on the 7th of November where they won 4-1 to one was a non-conference game. I mean, that's the thing that yeah. just kind of stings if you're a Huskies fan, obviously, uh, thanking your lucky stars if you're a Gophers fan, of course, here. But, I mean, even right. the month previous in the middle of October, 4-2 to two and 2-1 two to one victories against St. Cloud in the home and home. So, I mean, a yeah. couple of tight contests really took them a while to kind of get warmed up in the season um, besides uh, a pretty good shellacking 20-4 to four over the course of the weekend 
weekend against Mankato, uh, second weekend of the regular season. And I mean, good showings against Bemidji State, but I mean, two teams that really didn't have the greatest of years. So, I mean, shootout loss against Ohio State was their first true loss of the season before St. Cloud came along. Another shootout contest and then a loss against Wisconsin. So not a good showing against the Badgers. Actually, a string of three straight in which they were either losing or in the extra session, so to speak. Four to three loss against Yale, by the way, before heading into the month of December, which is which was curious. Um, I'll say this, though, Nick. I mean, if you really want to talk about rebounds, they followed that up with winning 13 straight. <laughs> so they got back to go for hockey before a five to one loss against Ohio State in the start of February. So, I mean, they really went two calendar months without losing a hockey game. So they got back um, riding the ship, but then they lose. Uh, shootout loss and then a regular loss against Wisconsin. So they lose three straight. And then we kind of thought, oh, maybe there's some chinks in the armor. And then they went on a run, essentially gave their, gave themselves a chance until uh, they ended up at the NCAA semifinals in Amsoil in Duluth. And they lose in overtime to Wisconsin, who I don't want to say Wisconsin came out of nowhere, but for the season they had, they suddenly <laughs> turned it on at the right time. time. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how did you, before we get into some advanced statistics here, this go for season, which 36 and three. Um, and for those who are curious, by the way, it's 30 six and three not 36 by the way um i always hate it when they end like that but um this was a great season by all gopher women's hockey accounts here um did it leave a little bit to be desired did they overachieve in the end with their push to the finish line and overtime loss i I mean how did you characterize a gopher season that historically they've been a great team like this so one thing that jumps out to me right and this is kind of where gopher hockey you know and again it wasn't a consistent factor, right? So when they loot, when they kept close with St. Cloud, you know, and then some of these other teams that normally they kind of handle, right? Um, again, they had great winning streaks, but it was when they got frustrated. Um, part of that was their first period scoring differential, right? They outscored opponents 54 to 18 in the first, but it gets progressively closer the next couple periods, right? So no, so what does that tell us? That tells us, well, Gopher hockey gets out to a lead early and then they can kind of sit back and relax or whatever the case may be and sort of close out a hockey games. Now I shouldn't say sit back and relax in the direct sense, right? But they were in cruise control. They still scored again. In fact, they still scored more in the second and third periods rather than the first, I think it was over 60 goals uh, yep. per period in the second and third, but their opponents also scored more, right? So, what happens in these games is if Minnesota does not come out of the first period with that two or three goal lead, for whatever reason, that sort of just sort of got to put him in a funk. It just it wasn't the same comfortability that we saw. Right. And with the coaching staff that they have, again, Brad Frost, will you know, touch details on them in a moment. But it just felt like with this squad that they just they kind of. I don't want to say panicked, but they didn't feel comfortable being close after 20 minutes of play. And in the games that they lost, that was indeed the storyline is that it was close after the first 20 minutes. And the other teams, you know, and probably also said, hey, we got a chance. We're not out of this early. Uh, And the Gophers, for whatever reason, just couldn't reset their own mental clocks. Uh, They just, you know essentially couldn't go out and just, you know, recontrol and other teams maybe also being rejuvenated said, Hey, we get a chance. Let's keep this thing close. Right. And then in certain games, the wheels kind of fell off. Right. But again, this was not a common instance. This is when it did happen. 
But when you take that same mentality toward the postseason, when you're playing good teams that are used to playing in tight hockey games and also say, hey, let's keep it close. We're okay with these guys, right? Or girls, I should say. Um, that's partly the reason why they fell, right? So again, yeah. for the Gophers, that's been the MO when they've lost hockey games because when they win, they win by a pretty good margin. They're comfortable. In the losses, it's they don't get that early lead. It leaks into the the second and third period, and they're left kind of, for whatever reason, scrambling. And that's sort of odd, right, when you think about it from a, just a, a sports psychology standpoint. Well, it, you just have this big variance between competitive and non-competitive contests, too, right? You talk about uh, outshooting your opponents by 618 on the season, outscoring them by 105 on the year. Goals margin, so goals for is 4.5 for the Gophers compared to 1.85 for their opponents. I mean, that's a massive spread. So riddle me this, Nick. Four and two in one goal contest one and three when trailing after the first one, five and one when trailing after the second period, a team that historically um, has had some miraculous game tying and game winning goals late in hockey games throughout its storied history. Um, not to say they didn't have that last season, but it didn't feel like you said they had that killer instinct or that like, again, I, I go back to uh, kind of an analogy that uh, my current uh, uh, broadcast partner in Minot always says about the best team in Toro history. He always says they were too dumb to realize they should have been out of it. Right. And you yeah. kind of have to have that idea of like, we're not done yet. You know, we're down by two, but we're not done yet. And, you know, not to say that Gopher teams get down by two very often, especially on the women's side. But when they did in years past, it felt like they could supplement that offense and the push was there. And it was definitely going to be a wild ride in the last five minutes for whoever was trying to cling on to that lead. Um, yeah. And not to say, I mean, we're talking about a team that made it to the, to the semifinal game of the national championship tournament at Amsoil. So, I mean, a great season for them, nonetheless, there's no doubt about that, but you take that just a, a little bit of interesting caveats here, and then we'll kind of get to it in a bit, but some roster turnover and, uh, and losing some players, uh, that'll be kind of interesting. I'll tell you what though, Nick, they have a very good head coach and three assistant coaches that uh, are able to navigate that process very accordingly. Uh, very much so. Uh, everybody should know who Brad Frost is, their head coach, uh, coming into a 17th season. Um, how about this for a resume, Noah? If you got this, I'd imagine that you would want this person to coach whoever team. Four national champions, 10 Frozen Four appearances, seven WCHA regular season titles, five Frozen Faceoff championships, being the WCHA uh, final faceoff. I should not Frozen Faceoff. I'm getting well, NCHC I'm, and WCHA mixed up now. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, ice. It's frozen. It's right. Um, has never finished lower than fourth in the WCHA in the regular season, right? Four-time WCHA Coach of the Year, nine-time AHCA Coach of the Year finalist, 8.30 win seasons. Um, it's okay. Not, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, that's that's a hell of a resume, right? And a big reason why the Gophers have had so much success um, in their program history. It's because of Brad Frost. Now, as far as assistant coaches go, uh, Greg May entering his second season behind the bench. Um, how about this? He was coaching Augsburg's men's team before he came to the Gophers. 41-15-2 was his record. So um, winning pedigree, apparently yeah. something uh, you need to have behind the Gopher bench. And then was also previously director of operations for the Gopher men's team, right? So he's no stranger to the Maroon and Gold. Um, another assistant coach, Jessica Scott. She's also entering her second season, her fifth 
with the team, second stint, we should say. Also previously a director of operations for the women's team, previously coached at the uh, a High School, won a silver medal at the 2002 U18 Worlds. And then our final assistant coach, Mitch Baker, who was at Shattuck St. Mary's for two years for the U19 girls. Um, winning percentage, 710. Not bad, right? Pretty good. Also, USA uh, Hockey National Championship in the spring of 2023. Previously with Union College's women's program, also for five seasons as well, uh, with some coaching experience there. So, um, yeah. yeah, you just you, you got just about the best of the best out there as far as the coaching staff is concerned. I mean, I, I wouldn't yeah. dare any other hockey team, women or men's that have the kind of resumes this coaching staff has, seriously. Yeah, U18 Worlds, obviously, silver medalist 2022 for Jessica Scott. Like you mentioned, a couple of these others have been on that international stage too as well. And, uh, you know, the USA Hockey National Championship for the high school piece for Shattuck St. Mary and Mitch Baker, who's, you know, the third assistant coach as we speak. I mean, I just think it, it, it what stands out to me is that you have brad frost who of course has done amazing work but again we've talked about these good coaches are never afraid to surround themselves with really great people really great supplementary staff that are able to bring uh, a world of experience and able to balance that accordingly greg may of course his pedigree uh on the men's side jessica scott we just mentioned her u18 silver last year uh mitch baker of course good high school developmental level able to kind of handle uh, the development piece knowing where a lot of these gals are coming from and getting ready to enter into the fold for gopher women's hockey as well too so i mean a great coaching staff able to give themselves a chance here nick um but they obviously have a lot of roster turnover i think that might be a really good place to start here before we talk about players that are returning uh we've got some departures nick uh six forwards six forwards three defensemen and two goaltenders one of which is a transfer out on the goaltending side but the rest of those the other 10 by the way they are all graduates Mm-hmm. just on their way out a big class that stuck around and is now on their way out who the heck are are the gophers losing uh some big names right uh so we'll so i think the biggest one they'll be losing is grace zumwinkle uh you I mean anytime that she was on the ice it was like uh Hang on to your hats because uh, she could always do something special, right? Uh, on the force of Taylor Heisey, another really, really good forward. Um, Katie Skaya, also another really good forward. Emily Oden, Abigail Boreen, as well as Savannah Norcross. So rounding out the forward group, that's a lot of firepower you're missing yes. up front. Um, to put it lightly, right, um, there's no question a bunch of those names, big contributors to the Gophers. Uh, defenseman Lizzie Norton, or Crystalyn Hangler, as well as Gracie Ostertag, you know, and... Um, I would imagine everyone has also heard a few of those names before because, yeah, uh, yeah they're good. Uh, and then the goaltender, Michaela Paul, uh, right, is the one that is uh, transferring or sorry, graduating out. And then you talk about transferring out. It's just the one uh, goaltender, Olivia Kane, who was heading to uh, St. Thomas. So literally just across the river. Right. Um, here's the thing. She only played in two games. Um, how about this? Uh, two shutouts. Yeah, not, so not bad, bad, right? So, uh, it, granted, it's not that's not a huge sample size, right? But uh, for a goal first team, if you can still come in and uh, have those numbers, that's still pretty good. Yeah, certainly is. And like you mentioned, obviously, a lot of players, of course, Grace Zumwinkle's sister is still, of course, on the team as well. And, uh, you know, losing a lot of players, even you think about a player like Emily Oden, by the way, right? Good middle six player, able to supplement a lot of offense as well, too. So, I mean, a lot of players that have become household names as far as go for women's hockey that they're losing here. Uh, it's going to be a, a big transition. And that's part of the reason why we have them at number three is they just have a lot of turnover here and they're losing a lot of players. Taylor Heisey, Grace Zumwinkle, like you mentioned, who 
brought a lot of offense for this program here. Um, they're trying to supplement it, of course, two defensemen and four freshmen, um, or four forwards, I should say, for six freshmen that are going to enter, as well as three transfers, a pair of defensemen and a netminder to supplement some some things on the back end as well, too, here, Nick. Uh, let's start with the transfers, a couple of defensemen and, of course, a netminder as well, Nick. Um, one of which we talked about coming from the Duluth Bulldogs here uh, should bring some, uh, seems like on the defensive side at least, a uh, little more stay-at-home defensive prowess among this group of transfers. Yeah, that's Taylor Stewart who you're talking about. She'll be a graduate senior. Uh, again, not the numbers as far as offense. Again, 4-4 four, four, uh, for eight points again. But you're looking more for her to, again, be that shutdown role, maybe contribute things here and there, but more to be that 200-foot uh, defenseman that's going to be your safety valve, right? Um, and I think, again, with some of the... Um, firepower that you're missing up front you need a little bit more of that shall we say that confidence in your back end that you can stop the opposing forwards right um they're also going to get another senior defenseman coming from this time princeton it's a solvig newenzer uh, to sort of kind of balance it out a little bit but yeah that's i think these are great pickups for gopher hockey right because you need to have that stability in the back end especially when you have question marks up front that's been your identity for the longest time under Brad Frost uh, need to be able to maybe get yourself out of some things here, especially early on. And then bringing in a graduate goaltender, Lucy Morgan. She comes via St. Lawrence. Pretty good numbers, actually, in 35 contests. 2.6, uh, sorry, 2.26 goals against, as well as a 9.15 save percentage. So as far as the transfers goes, again, upperclassmen, good numbers, but definitely defense first. Uh, for these uh, guys coming, I shouldn't say the guys, these girls coming in uh, to help with the Gophers in this kind of a transition year, if we want to say, because, again, a lot of upperclassmen that are leaving via graduation. Um, and again, this freshman class that we will talk about here in just a moment, Noah, this is not a very big freshman class either, So, which is both good and bad. Yeah, I mean, six players, though, obviously. I mean, you want to talk about total. I mean, you're you're ending up bringing in nine players total. So, I mean, trying to supplement that, obviously. You lose 10, you bring in nine and kind of see how things shake out. Like you mentioned, a little more defensive-minded and you know, Princeton and St. Lawrence. You're curious to see for the transfer side of things how they move over into the WCHA. But, Nick, uh, freshmen, of course, two defensemen, four forwards here, and they continue to get better and better. The Gophers... Uh, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, what do we have on these freshmen here? So uh, you, you talk about coaching resumes. How about the resumes of these freshmen? Um, let's start with the defenseman, as you mentioned. Uh, Josie Hemp, is this good? 109 points for 106 games as a high school player over four seasons at Minnetonka. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, holy cow. Yeah. Two, yeah, two at Andover and two at Minnetonka, correct. Yep. Yeah. Um, so how about this? Of those 109 points, 84 of those assists. So you talk about, you know, maybe a good puck moving defenseman, good distributor and also a great skater. Right. We've heard that about Josie Hemp here in her time with the um, essentially the high school leagues and all the coverage with her. She's going to be very, very hard to contain uh, with everything that I've been reading up on her. Um, a very similar person. Right. Um, and mind you, both of these players are state champions at some point. Right. Um, Ellie Kleppinger, I believe is her name um also how about this 83 points in 126 games played for minnetonka spent uh five seasons there 58 assists in her career she was a captain last year as well as was josie hemp was a captain how about this two state titles to her names and also was at breck for her first three seasons uh so uh, a couple story programs again breck as well uh, and then going back to minnetonka um apparently minnetonka is uh just 
a recruiting train for the Gophers. Yeah. As their first forward also comes from Minnetonka. How about Ava Lindsay? Um, was at Breck for four years first, and then Minnetonka for two. So if I'm doing the math, that means she was a player for since her seventh grade year. Holy yeah. cow! Okay. Um, now, well, why and, is that? And, and she's only five foot six too, which I mean is not short on the women's side. But I mean, it's you know when you're a seventh grader, you know you're still kind of filling into that height, obviously too. So I mean, correct. Um, but it's not you know, the size of the dog and the fight, it's, you know, the size of the fight, and the dog. And, uh, well, if you score 216 points, <laughs> sorry, did I read that again? 216 points in 150 career games played across six seasons of high school hockey, 88 goals, 128, uh, assist to break that down a three-time state champion, as well as a two-time world junior championship medalist. Uh, holy hell. Is that a resume that the golfers are coming in? So, uh, you talk about supplementing offense. Uh, oh, there you go. Found, <laughs> there you go. Found it. You know the scary thing found is we it. got we got three more forwards. Is is that is that? Yeah, that is the scary <laughs> thing. But uh, yeah, that's going to be probably the headliner as far as the forward is concerned, right? But then you're bringing in Lauren O'Hara. She's five eleven. Um, so you talk about the size and reach and the skating ability. She's going to provide that. Um, wasn't too bad either. One hundred and seventy points in 127 games as a high schooler, uh, split her time between both Centennial and Spring Lake Park. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of different skill set, Noah, but uh, still can put the puck in the net at, at will, it looks like. So, uh, holy cow. Um, speaking of, uh, well, let's do this. We're going to go to Isa. Go- is it Isa Godel or is it Isa? Yeah, Isa, Isa, take your pick. Isa, okay. Um, not the Biggest player at five at one, uh, but also spent four seasons with Andover. Um, Andover's been in this conversation before, right? Um, apparently, they're pretty good. Uh, two-time state champion, also had 187 points in 106 games played. 80 goals, 107 assists to break that down. Um, geez, uh, these players are yeah. good so far. Um, and then lastly, because if you apparently the golfers found all the best talent in Minnesota and probably all across uh, the high schools in the USA. So they had to go to Hungary to get their next um, prospect. And that is Emma Kreitz, I believe um, yeah. she's five foot nine. Uh, so a, a bit of a bigger body, right? 120 points in three seasons um, in 83 games played um, 57 goals, 63 um, assists. And uh, she also spent a little bit of time um, up in a Canadian high school. This is the Stansted college varsity. So from Hungary, but then playing uh, most of her hockey in North America. So she's not new to the North American style, which we know is different from the European style of game. Um, Yikes. Can I just say that? That's a lot of firepower for freshmen, um, both defense and forwards. Um, I would think if you're looking to supplement the stats, I think you already have that. Yeah, I I think defensive side for sure. Um, Forward side filling four of six forwards that they lose. Uh, Just curious to see how those forwards adjust, right? Obviously, the college game, a different game. So I think uh, defensively, um, might have a little bit better time adjusting with that offensive 200-foot game that Josie Hemp and Ellie Kleppinger bring to the table. And, of course, uh, could be a defensive pairing in and of themselves just because of their familiarity playing, you know, on the same team with each other, both being captains, you know, defensive pairing, things like that. Um, On the forward side, just curious to see if that production translates. We always talk about that, you know, especially on the women's game. If you play for a really good team, really good program, you have that production to go with it. So um, obviously six really great additions on the freshman side that the Gophers are are going to use very handily. And um, 
you know, like we said, I mean, they're going to be able to supplement a lot of that offense. The question is how quickly are they going to get to that point? I think there's no doubt in anybody's mind that the Gophers are, well, at minimum, a top four team, in the WCHA, but, um, in most years, probably a top two team, top three at worst, I guess. Um, and they have a chance to be that again this year. I think, uh, for us, we talk about you lose Michaela Paul and Olivia King in the goaltending side as well. You bring in Lucy Morgan um, from St. Lawrence to fill out some of that net mining piece. But uh, curious to see how the net mining battle continues to evolve here, Nick. Obviously, um, you know, last season, uh, you know, you have uh, Skylar Vetter, who, of course, is a sophomore. She carried the bulk of the weight, a 184 goals against and an 811. Uh, um, 811 saves, excuse me, for a 926 save percentage. I was going to say, if you have a 184, you shouldn't have an 811. That would be... That seems odd. <laughs> I would say that, that's like Ludwig Pearson numbers. Um, but, you know, 27-6-3 on the season for her. I imagine she gets a chance again this season to be the gal. It looks like the Gophers might, um, you know, uh, only carry, um, I believe, if my math serves me correct, I, does that mean I think they only have two netminders next season if I... That's what it looks like. Yeah, if my math is right. You've so never Lucy, been great at arithmetic, but I, I think one plus one is easy for you. You know, when people hand me the stats card, it's a lot easier than when I have to read it myself. But I mean, like we <laughs> talked about, Taylor Heisey, Grace Sumwinkle, 67 and 61 points, respectively. They're both gone. Uh, Abby Murphy is the next best scorer, a sophomore last season, entering her upperclassman year this upcoming year just shy of 30 goals with 50 points on the season so but i mean abigail barine katie sky are gone as well before you get into some of the other scores that will be around so um it'll be interesting um you know you're losing some of those top heavy score scores that we did see um in years past so again can someone supplement that offense by being that standout player or two or are they going to kind of do more of an aggregate thing where you're starting to see more players in the 30s and 40s as far as points but you see a lot more of them um in, in terms of their production so it'll be interesting to see how the gophers uh kind of run through things nick as we pull up by the way the individual statistics we mentioned the netminder and skylar vetter last season but i mean is there any player um you know ella huber peyton hemp both had really good years just shy of 30 points last season um, are there other players that kind of stand out to you as far as returners that you think are poised for another really big year? Um, Abby Murphy uh, is the big one, right? The sophomore now will be junior. Um, how about this? 29 goals. She was second on the team um, with that mark. Uh, 50 points was third best. So um, mind you, Taylor Heisey, Grace Zumwinkle were the two that were above her. They're gone. Um, Abel Goodberine and Katie Sky were the two below her. So she is their top scorer that's returning. So to me, it's Abby Murray. Now look at this, 146 shots too. So you talk about uh, a player that is, you know, the grip it and rip it type. That's Abby Murphy. Uh, to give you some comparison, right? Same as Abigail Barrena, 146 shots. The other two that had over 100 were both Heising and Zumwinkle. So to me, it's Abby Murphy that's going to be probably leading the charge on the offense. Uh, to me, she's going to be the player to watch 110%. Yeah, I think the thing that's honestly crazy, by the way, speaking of Grace Zumwinkle, who uh, is exiting with 208 shots in 39 contests in her senior season, Nick, that's 5.3 shots per game. That's a pretty good shot volume. Yeah. Uh, plus 35 on the season, in case anyone was curious. There was only one player on this team uh, that finished with a plus minus that was below zero, um, and they were dash one, by the way, as well, too. So, I mean, obviously a very good program that the Gophers bring to the table. When you're 36 and three, obviously you're going to continue to bring that production. So this Gophers team, um, no no doubt about it that obviously they're a great program, of course, Um you know, they're going to bring that effort like they have uh, in years past. But Nick, at the same time, uh, 
I mean, you look at their schedule um, that they have coming up here, and uh, it'll be an interesting one. Uh, they start uh, with Durham Durham West for an exhibition game uh, in the middle of September, and then they uh, match up with RIT. They're actually headed to New York for their first real NCAA test October 6th and 7th uh, before taking on St. Thomas October 13th. It's at the Excel Energy Center, so that's really cool. I'd love to see yeah. a great attendance October 13th at 4 o'clock, and then, uh, of course, they play in St. Thomas the following night on Saturday. Um, so that's kind of our start, and then uh, – they actually have St. Cloud for a single game set um, October 17th at Ritter Arena. That's on a Tuesday. Um, okay. So St. Cloud will actually travel to Ritter Arena and Minnesota. Ohio State will host them the following uh, weekend, October 27th and 28th. So really they play on that Tuesday. They have the weekend off, and then the following weekend they go to Ohio State, I should say. And then they're home and home against Mankato, uh, traveling up to Duluth in the middle of November. Um, and then holiday-wise, they're actually headed to the nation's capital in D.C., Arlington, Virginia. Uh, Cornell and Harvard are going to be uh, the matchups for the tournament, the D1 and D.C. tournament uh, for them before um, getting ready for the month of December. They host Bemidji State and then travel for that single game set again. I just, the single game sets always throw me off. This one's in St. Cloud, December 5th against the Huskies and round out the first half of the season against Wisconsin at home. So a lot of home games here to start off for the Gophers here. Uh, kind of an interesting schedule with some interesting matchups here. Gophers team has been no stranger to it. Anything you kind of, you pull out besides those random Tuesday games against St. Cloud, St. Cloud does not have a traditional home and home against the Gophers in the first half of the season. They don't, uh, but you know, you take away um, St. Thomas and St. Cloud, um, you're, then you get a little bit of time off. In fact, you get a week and a half off after that. And then it's Ohio State that uh, you get to sort of welcome into some more WCHA action. That's not going to be an easy task, uh, but they do get a lot of time to prepare for them. So that's kind of a big one. And then again, Minnesota Duluth, because uh, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, uh, this Duluth squad is trending upwards and uh, they're kind of in that top four echelon of WCHA teams. And uh, I'm curious to see what Duluth does with this first matchup against the Gophers and more so yeah. where the Gophers are at, right? Because again, we talk about how, you know, this Gopher team talents losing, but also talents coming in. There's a lot of youth to this Gopher squad and uh, Duluth has given them fits over the last uh, season or two like to see how Duluth approaches this first matchup. And then after that, having to travel again into Arlington, that's a beautiful area, by the way, especially that time of year, um, absolutely gorgeous. And then you come home um, and for that uh, set against Bemidji uh, before you go on and again um, up at Herb and then back home again to face uh, Wisconsin before you get a holiday break. That's a lot of traveling too. a lot of just sort yeah. of these weird in-between kind of games. And you kind of wonder for a team that, has a lot of youth that has a lot of, you know, shall we say turnover, right? There is a lot of turnover here, but they, sh again, talent for talent, I think is equal. But as we talked about with um, North Dakota last week in our, in our talks with them is you always are wondering how the team can assimilate with each other, right? And you wonder with the travel and the schedule, does that make it more tough or does it encourage it? I feel like this is going to be an extra challenge for the Gophers this year. Um, now, granted, 
they've got one of the best coaching staffs out there. I don't presume any less that they'll uh, have them in the best position that they can be. Uh, but they're going to have some youth at key positions, and uh, I, I think it's it's going to be it's going to be a challenge. Um, I, I think the second half of the season or this uh, the season, yes, will be a little bit more favorable, but that first half is going to be a little bit more rocky just because of all the traveling and some of those midweek games that we don't normally see, especially on the men's side. Yeah, and I think uh, being comfortable with the rigor of college hockey, right? I think that's kind of the par- the part that I take away from the first half of that schedule. Of course, they come back at Red Arena to face UConn, the Huskies, uh, fifth and sixth uh, before uh, hosting Ohio State to get back into WCHA action. So a four-game homestand for them. Technically six games if you want to go all the way back into uh, December, but realistically a four-game homestand to start January. So again, like we said, UConn and then the Buckeyes of Ohio State visit before traveling to Bemidji state a short little jaunt up uh january 19th and 20th to face the beavers and then home and home against mankato st thomas uh both of these games at ritter arena february 2nd and 3rd of course uh st thomas both of their home games one of them is that game at the xl so um mm-hmm. they are going to be a homestand against st thomas to start february and then st cloud this is the huskies first actual weekend series against the Gophers. They are in St. Cloud Friday, February 9th, before traveling to Minnesota Saturday, February 10th. Pretty typical, actually. Usually it's that Friday game is in St. Cloud Saturday. They're headed down uh, towards the greater Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And then Wisconsin uh, hosts them in the middle of February before a homestand against Duluth. And that is it for the regular season. March 1st through the 3rd is when we start the first round of the WCHA playoffs. Nick, I Anything, first of all, to pull out from the second half, or does it kind of feel nice to see the Huskies play the Gophers on a back-to-back basis for that weekend? I think it'll be good to see how they handle that test later in the season against this Gopher squad. Yeah, and I think for for the Huskies, right? Um, they're hungry for a chance to try to repeat a, a performance, right? I think there's a one thing we take away from last year. Yeah, it's the Huskies uh, being the Gophers for the first time in a very long time. Uh, but let's just say that the other four games in Minnesota had them uh, quite handily. So I think you're trying to maybe set a bit of a tone, right? See if you can't sneak one out of home and then go into their barn and see if you can steal one again, right? So, um, but beyond that, um, it, it's 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 a pretty decent schedule for them, honestly. Um, I, I don't really see anything that could be really terrible, but I will tell you this: that last three weeks, St. Cloud, Wisconsin, Duluth—that's a bit of a gauntlet. Yeah. When you, when you come towards the end of the year, especially if St. Cloud continues to, shall we say, progress under Brian Idolsky, uh, especially on the defensive side. So, uh, at the end of it. It's a pretty decent schedule. I think they'll be in rhythm by then, but that last six games will be a pretty good test. And then honestly, you know, we talk about this with Brett Larson on the other side. That's what you want, right? Because you're almost preparing yourself for almost, you know, for playoff hockey and for the WSHA conference uh, playoffs. So it'll get them ready. Um, question is, what state will they be in during that time? I still think they'll be a top four team. We have them at number three. Um, but the question is, you know, how are they going to be winning these games, right? Is it going to be, you know, the 6-1? Is it going to be 7-2? Or is it going to be closer? Um, I think the Gophers would benefit from actually winning some more close games. I really do. Yeah. I think that was a struggle for them last year. And I think for them to be just kind of come more of a team and just be maybe a little bit more, shall we say, um, I don't want to say responsible, but maybe see more aware defensively, right? And just maybe aware, aware that you're not going to pull away from every team every year, um, every single uh, first period. So go out there and as a team, make sure you give um, a 60-minute effort and, and 
don't let the highs get too high. Don't let the lows get too low and try to have a more even approach to the game. Uh, I think that'll be good for them. Yeah, certainly uh, will be, obviously, you know, looking ahead to their upcoming season, like you mentioned, some more close games, uh, you know, and just being able to manage the pace of play. I think when you're a good team and, you know, you let's say you go to a weekend, you're playing a team that maybe you should handle, you're winning, you know, 6-1, 7-0, whatever it is, and then you follow it up, you're playing Duluth, Wisconsin, for example, who have historically given you tough matchups in recent years, you know, being able to kind of go from 0 to 60 real quick, as the kids say, um, you know, being able to handle that change, I think, is um big so i think uh if you're brad frost part of that you know holiday tournament in arlington too is being able to play two teams that you know like harvard for example that maybe won't give you a too big of a test on paper but can you just handle the simple travel can you handle the travel being able to play a team you know not having bus legs being ready for that matchup because when it comes to national tournament time you're traveling to a different location you're facing teams you maybe haven't seen before you have to be able to handle that process a little bit here so for the gophers i mean we have them picked at third but if they bring the offense certainly could finish second or even first in this conference there's no doubt about that they are a good hockey team um but i i still do think just with the big roster turnover we talk about this a lot um there's a lot of unknowns uh, with this Gophers team. Um, goaltending hopefully should be okay, but I mean, you never know. I, again, I, not that you ever want this to happen, but you know, injuries do happen. So I mean, if you happen to have something like that happen, especially at the goaltending position, I mean, you only have Lucy Morgan right now as the backup. So I mean, you know, she's going to have to jump in potentially and do something if you know injuries withstanding or who knows maybe she'll have a great camp and we might have a contested uh, position in that crease for the gophers as well too so uh curious to see how brad frost plays it the gophers do see the huskies four times a pair of tuesdays at the start of the first half of the regular season before a true weekend home and home friday in st cloud saturday at ritter arena uh, for the huskies and gophers matching up what do you expect for st cloud who has them in single game sets and then an actual weekend how do you approach those four hockey games in three different uh, standings? Well, you, you mean as a coach, right? You're approaching the exact same, but as a player, right? Because sometimes you're playing a weekend series and then you're getting one day off, right? Um, the advantage to that for the Huskies is maybe for a team that likes to skate and use offense, maybe they're a bit tired, right? Um, but for the Huskies, this formula is simple. How you beat them before was, first of all, score first. That's yeah. a big one. Um, and actually, I think two goal lead is really was the backbreaker for the Gophers. They were a different team as they went down by two. But how they got there was they were stingy defensively. They kept yeah. the Gophers to the outside. Doesn't mean the Gophers aren't going to get their chances. They always create grade eight chances no matter who they're playing. That's just the skill that they have. Right. But you really did limit what they had right and i think that you have to repeat that uh idolski has said i want to be a strong defensive team i want to make it almost impossible to get into those high danger areas they for the most part accomplished that when they played the gophers and won that game back last november and i think it showed that with this gopher squad that yes they're a they're a wagon most you know most years they really are they have all the talent up and down their lineup that you could possibly want but like in most sports teams are not perfect they do have weaknesses and for them for the gophers is because they're so used to playing with the lead when they didn't have one it's almost like they didn't know how to react to it um they panicked at times they were they almost played right into st cloud's defensive structure when they were down right so that's how you do it now 
easier said than done, no question about it. But if you can start off defensively, slow them down a bit, and then also for St. Cloud, just try to have the puck on your stick, have the possession, especially in your offensive zone. Even if you're not necessarily creating chances, if you're cycling and maybe wearing them down just with possession time, that can take away the time that they have the puck on their stick. Now, granted, they can be a quick strike team. The Gophers can be. But I will tell you this, as a former player, you yourself know can attest to this. You spend a lot more time defending than you do playing offense. And I think that's the key to victory, especially in those Tuesday games and especially also coming to that weekend series. Absolutely would agree. And I think for the Gophers, too, obviously November 17th and 18th on the road, but February 23rd and 24th, the last week of the regular season, all four of those matchups, but especially that last one, hosting Duluth at home to cap off the regular season. Very curious to see how this Bulldogs team reacts to this Gophers team. Both teams experiencing quite a bit of turnover for some of their top-end players, top-end scorers. So it's going to be an interesting mix in the middle to home half of the WCHA standings, of course. Um, I'm very curious to see those matchups for the Gophers as they continue to roll in. And then we'll see, as you mentioned, what St. Cloud can do, um, potentially seeing what you know, that how they can handle this Gophers team as they move forward. So Nick, anything else we wanted to add about this Gophers squad as we kind of look forward into next season? Um, yeah, we have them at three, but as you mentioned, they could easily finish first, right? I think this top three group that we're going to discuss, um, we're not going to give away who we have at two or one just yet, but they're not separated by much, right? Especially on the talent side. But again, with the Gophers, why we have them low is again, the unknown, the transition, right? Um, the turnover. And I think, you know, for the Gophers, much like we talked about with North Dakota last week, is if they can assimilate and get to know each other quick and uh, for some of the freshmen get to know the WCHA and Division One play, they could easily be a very big force. So um, it's kind of, I don't want to say a wild card to have them at three, but they sort of are in a sense. Um, and uh, yeah, they're still going to be a very, very good, solid team. One that skates very well, play with speed. Um, they're going to be tough to slow down um, either way. So um, they're a good team. They're going to have a great season. And for Huskies fans, um, I would still, for Idolski squad, go out and watch this matchup yes. and how you can get it. Because I will tell you this, I watched that game when they took down the Gophers and it, just really felt like, especially in that game, that this program, we're talking St. Cloud now, had made a jump forward. And now under year number two with Idolski, uh, we're going to talk St. Cloud obviously in a couple of weeks. But I feel like even this year that the Huskies are more better prepared to handle a team like Minnesota and some others that we will discuss um, in the WCHA. I really do think that's going to be really good hockey to watch. Get out to the Herb. See you game. Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned, obviously, I'm excited about the Duluth Gopher matchup. The Huskies goal for St. Cloud is to get in that mix, to be that other team that the Gophers and Duluth really feel like they're contesting night in and night out, challenging for a home spot in the WCHA. For episode 175, of course, I'm Noah Grant, and that was Nick Maxson, and we will see you soon in the den. One-timer coming, they score! She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud could be 
Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.